This episode of the Dungeon Master's Block is brought to you by BattleBards. BattleBards brings you premium audio content for your tabletop gaming experience. They bring you sounds such as this. And this. And even this. You can check out BattleBards at BattleBards.com and you can follow them on Twitter at BattleBards. Their Kickstarter is starting up April 14th, so if you like what you hear, go ahead and go and back them. BattleBards, for all your battle-barding needs. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And this week we have our first installment of Raw Real Monsters <laughs> this week. If you are familiar with our title at all, we kind of played off of the Ah, real monsters show from back in the day. No, we didn't. We no, we didn't. We didn't. We don't play Dread. Raw. What are you talking about? <laughs> Raw, real monsters. Number one. So we have some fun stuff in store. We're going to be talking about beholders, spiders, and then two homebrew creatures that one that Mitch has come up with and one that I've come up with that we will share with you. Stay tuned. We got a lot in store today, but first we're going to get to some shout out. Our first five star shout out comes from DM Coach Chris, and his review on iTunes is entitled. Long overdue. This is not review. me. Just this is not. This is this not is just not, me writing one on here. You're not a coach. No. Nope. DM Coach Chris writes: If you are a DM and you are looking for the perfect podcast to expand your DMing ability, then look no further. I am a fairly green DM, but I have been listening to podcasts for a long time. I have to say that I am impressed with DM Chris and Mitch's awesome content, great attitudes, and their consistency in their cast. I eagerly appreciate each and every episode. Keep it up, guys. Yeah. Thanks, DM. Thank Coach you very much. We will definitely keep it up. Yep, we got another one uh, from Hedgehog3471. He writes, two heads are better than one. Five stars. <laughs> this podcast is by far the best D&D podcast that I have come across yet. I have tried listening to others, and the majority of them seem to be a group of people playing D&D, which is a great thing in its own right. However, Chris and Mitch take that a step further and help you to imagine your own world and create your own adventures, all while being funny, entertaining, and extremely informative in an organized fashion, which is no small feat. Not to mention they have voices that, in my opinion, are great for radio. I only discovered their podcast about two weeks ago and have already listened to three quarters of the available episodes. However, all of the episodes have replayability and can offer more guidance as you progress in the creation of your story. I myself have drawn a lot of inspiration from things that have discussed, especially in regards of ways to make NPCs stand out. My only regret is that they did not start episode one by telling me to take notes. <laughs> I use OneNote now, similar to Evernote, a word for new DMs. I have been playing D&D for about eight years off and on and have recently decided to take the plunge to become a DM, but was a bit unsure of where to start and where I wanted to go with my ideas. If this sounds anyone, anything like you, then why are you reading my poorly written review and not listening to the best podcast you are like to ever come across? 
Anyways, sorry if this review seems a bit long, but a short review would not do these two great DMs justice. Just the ramblings of an insightful hedgehog. Hashtag mannerisms. <laughs> so if you've listened to past episodes, mannerisms was something that Flawful Jared said and has not been let go by us and as by you guys as the audience. That was an so awesome review. That Quite was long. Great... You winded, Chris? I... Yeah, yeah. I need to start walking up and down steps more to get back in shape. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, but without further ado, let's get into story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, what we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. All right, Chris, so we played my campaign last week, and so we want to share uh, with you the story time from that. So you got Kruror, the halfling leader of the Riders of Shemesh, and his merry Savior band. of the king, might yep. I add. Rick Sodhopper and Groudhoof of Clan Skysnout. All together, they've been going on this quest, and Torque now, too, have been going along, and they've been trying to accomplish a mission for the gods. They haven't, they don't know what, they still don't know what the deal is with it, what is going to be accomplished when they finish it, but you guys had one last thing. You just finished the battle at the Crow's Fort with all the orcs, and now you saw a fallen star. The last thing you needed was a fallen star. We finally got to play... We've had family thing after family thing happen. Five weeks of family things yeah. in a row that we literally, I don't think we played for four of them, right? And then we had, last week was cut short yep. because I had another family thing We literally joked like, we're all here! Yeah, we're all here, play. it's going to happen! And, and then nine o'clock rolls around and it's like, frick. Yeah, you got a phone I have call to go and you had to yet go. Yet again, you know. It's incredibly uh, crazy. I was beginning to think that... D&D actually was satanic and that things actually were going on behind the <laughs> <Right>. scenes. <laughs> but then I decided, oh, what a load of crap. Why am I letting myself leave it? No, um, I'm totally it, kidding. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we finally, we at least got to play some, uh, and some really important stuff happened. So, let's talk about this story time and what happened. The Fallen Star falls, you guys know you have to go and collect it. You know where it's fallen. It's fallen near the Druid's Grove yep. that you've been to before. Yep. And so we rode out. I flew out on my Griffin. We rode out. Wesley said, "Did he say he was going to be coming up behind us, or no, he, he just he, he was said, just kind of hanging he said out?" He'll be waiting right? there at the Crow's Fort. So we we got there. We talked with the druids. Um, they said they didn't want whatever fell in their forest in their forest either. Uh, and so they were like, "Yeah, go and get it. Whatever. Just uh, get it and get, get out. Get it and get out." And so we weren't sure if it was like something and bad this, that fell. This druid leader you've seen before. He's like this yep, we met him really before. cool looking druid who rides, rides on a the bear. back of a dire bear. Yep. yep, and so we've we've seen him before. We rode into the forest. I think I flew yep. I flew up over the forest first to see if I could get a view of what was going on in there. Couldn't really see anything, just saw a light in the yep, middle of the forest. You saw the glow of the yep. star. And I don't know if it was slightly but Yeah, I don't know if it was like there was like a trail of like debris where yep. it smashed through the trees or whatever, but it was just there. It was I could see this glow. Couldn't make out what was there, whether it was big or small. It was just a a fading light that was gradually losing how how bright it was. We walked. I think we ended up walking in, right? I, or did we? No, we flew in. That's right, because I I flew me and Torque on the back mm-hmm. of the Griffin, and Groudhoof transformed into yep. a dire hawk and picked up. Ricks. Ricks, who's a lapid. He's been waiting so for that for yeah, the longest they've, they've time. They've talked about this for the longest time, <laughs> being able to do that. So they finally got to do it. We figured, why would we want to go through all the random encounters that I know every DM has 
<laughs> behind their you know behind their screen ready to go for forest so we flew in flew down and found like this little child that was you heard in, a crying we heard man. a crying noise and there was this child this little baby like letting off this light that was gradually fading and fading and fading and so we were looking at this baby we were like what what do we do with this thing we can't like put this because as, as you guys probably know or if you haven't listened there's this basin that's been filling up with water and whatever items this like statue to the god is asking for, we have to put it in its hand, and then it'll burn up and disappear. And so we're like, do we put <laughs> we the whole child in baby, there? Yeah. <laughs> do we put the child in there? Like, what do we do? And so we were I, like, we were. I think we were talking about this, and all of a sudden we heard some noises from yeah. behind us, some very disturbing noises. Uh, that was like there was like screaming and like fighting. And then, did it go quiet? Screams, but then the, there were screams that were turning into really evil-sounding wails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you heard it coming. I think Rick's pinpointed it as he's the lap at the rabbit folk. Pinpointed it to, it's coming from the druids group. Right, right. I, I said to the griffin, I said, take the child, we need the child. And then I said, just fly up and wait for us to come out by the druids grove. And as he was flying away, I also said, if we don't come out, take the child to Wesley because they can understand common they can understand yep. like they they have they're intelligent they don't creatures speak it, they can but they're intelligent. they can yep. they can understand what's going on they have facial recognition i'm sure and all that stuff so that's what we said to him we ran into the forest and we couldn't really see i couldn't see what was going on right away because i'm apparently the only creature that doesn't have low light vision or <laughs> uh, a night vi- or dark vision so but just, everybody else starts everybody shooting else at starts something. shooting at yeah. something and i'm like i can't see in the dark like i can see as far as your light is emitting out and it's 20 20 feet or something like that out in front of us and so i'm like i'm like all right i'm gonna hide behind a tree and wait for something to come so that i can just use sneak attack and kill it unfortunately they were the druids and their companions who were now like undead skeletons running at us with like meat and fur and everything hanging off of their bones and so we have to go through this whole long battle we had to kill the guy that was riding the dire bear because there's a skeleton riding a dire bear skeleton at this yeah. point in time. And we all kind of said, like, oh, yeah, we know that skeletons don't, like, undead probably aren't going to cast spells and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you thought that, huh? <laughs> lightning to your face. So Kruor gets shot with, the li- with some lightning, takes, like, 15 points of damage or something like that. I was like, I recant my statement. That's... It can totally happen. Yeah, and the skeleton druid leader on the skeleton dire bear shouts, Get the star from them! Bring me the star! Oh, I didn't even notice that he did that. I don't remember that happening, but that makes sense as to why they were coming for us now. (laughs) Because I was just like, why why did they decide to run into the forest and come after us? Like, that makes a lot of sense now. Uh, So we got through this whole battle. Uh, This is when I got my phone call of like, Hey, something's going on. You need to leave. My first... No, I got my first one earlier. This was Uh, the one where I was like, all right, I got to go, but I need to finish this turn first yes. because it's my turn just to wreck havoc. And so we uh, we were fighting, and I I don't – this is what I'm making up right now because I was pissed that there was something going you're on in my family. You were a little bit distracted. I was a little bit distracted, and I was like, oh, Kuror sees something undead? It reminds him of his dead brother that got killed by these <laughs> things. So I go, I charge him. I'm a rogue. I'm like, I charge the skeleton. And I have a club that does extra damage to undead, and I crit, and you're just – you just said at one point in time... I'm like, like, I'm sorry, but you can't crit undead. Don't hate me right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, it didn't matter. I obliterated still him either him. way. Yeah. But I was like, sweet, I crit him. And not thinking like, oh yeah, it's an undead. You can't crit undead. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, you can't crit him. I was like, 
screw that, he's still dead. <laughs> like, so at that point in time, guys started packing up my stuff, but we had a few things that we had to we had to get through. And um, Wesley comes Wesley up comes up behind us through the forest, and he's like, "Holy cow! I had to get through a lot of these like undead, druids yeah. and undead and stuff to get here." You were hiding. From Wesley. I was hiding because let I... Know, let me know, because we didn't talk about that, because you had to leave. But yeah. why were you hiding from Wesley? Uh, Wesley came from the direction of the, of the undead, I, and he had held that ring earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know if the ring, like, did something to him, or if the king had said, Wesley, come and work with this ring. And so I was thinking, maybe he's working with the evil guy now. Maybe. I don't know for sure if he is or not. Could he have been the one that turned these things undead to come after? Who knows, because Wesley's been wanting to see these things in the past, these things that are dealing with evil magic in the past. And so I'm like, and we had the necromancer thing happen when he had necrotic stuff in his spell book with the child, with the sheep. Well, he didn't have necrotic stuff in his spell book. Was that spell failure stuff that was That was spell happened? failure. Okay. <laughs> So, okay, that was spell failure stuff that happened, so I take back that statement. Either way, it's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, you've been very skeptical of yeah. Wesley lately. Yeah, I have been very skeptical of Wesley lately. I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing. I guess we'll find out by the end of the uh, campaign whether or not I should have killed him way earlier, mm -hmm. but it was just weird to me that he came from the direction of where the druids came from and how he knew from that far away from the crow's fort. I mean, it's what, like a day and a half from there? It's like a it's, day. It's yeah. like a day. So how did it's he up just? High. How did he, he said just, he saw fire and dark magic? Either way, I'm still really skeptical yeah, of yeah. him coming from no, this I'm far not, away. I'm not. Going so I'm hiding. I'm hiding. I'm hiding. And eventually they were. I think they went to like leave or something like that. I don't remember why I came out of of hiding. Like everybody was trying to find me, trying to talk to me, and I was just like, no, I'm not coming out in case Wesley decides to do something stupid, like take this child and kill the group or whatever. I was like, no, I'm going to be hidden so that. I can make sure I can do something if something needs to be done. We didn't end up, nothing ended up really happening. Eventually you came out. Eventually um, I came out. All we, together you decide, Wesley's like, you guys, something is trying to stop you. We got to get the sacrifice to the altar. Yep. And you're like, your plan was already like, I wonder if I can cut off some of his hair. And cut off some of his hair and sacrifice Because I'm not sacrificing a kid. Yeah. Uh, so you guys book it to that place. Yeah, I think we, did we fly? No, because Caleb changed out of the, uh... Hawk form. The hawk form, yeah, so he so couldn't, had the, yeah. You flew flew above them, but yep. you guys, you yep. booked your I, own horses. I and, flew up above because I was like, there's a lot of weird crap happening yeah. right now. So I was like, kind of like, all right, Griffin, you can let me know if there's anything going on or in the surrounding area. so you area. guys had to get to your horses, and there was this moment of stepping into the destroyed gru druids grove with all the dead druids, and Caleb, uh, who's playing a druid, Groudhoof, the... A satyr druid kind of like had to be like pulled, like, yeah. like come on, we gotta go, like because he yeah. was in this trance of this is terrible. Well, and a lot of these people he knew from being here before, yeah. so it's it, that was a really hard moment for him. And so we got we got back, we went up to the place where the basin was, the little like temple or shrine area, whatever we wanna we wanna call it. Put the hair in there. Do the, over basin, the basin, you burned it, burned yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. It was accepted as a sacrifice. Yep. Yep. The basin filled to the top with water. You reached in, yep. you pulled out the key, yep. and a keyhole appeared. Yep, in the door. It's mm -hmm. like, didn't you say like all the magic kind of like went yeah, and all the magic shape? writing turned, like came together and created this keyhole glow and it became a keyhole. Yep, yep. And so we stuck the key in, opened the door, the door opened obviously, and out from the door shone this really like bright, bright light 
blindingly blight. Almost light. magical, if you will, yeah. shining through this door. What's what's behind the light? You can't see with the... Yeah, we can't see behind the light. We don't know what's yeah, behind there. It's too but bright. there was a voice mm -hmm. that came and said, don't enter. Basically, it said, don't enter until you're fully ready. Um, we have a long journey ahead of us. Yeah, you. we have a long journey ahead of us. And so we don't know exactly what the journey is. We don't know what that means. But we heeded the warning, and we're like, okay, we're going to go get supplies, maybe level up again. I mean, our characters probably aren't like, oh, we need to level up again, <laughs> yeah. you know? But us as players are like, okay, we probably need to level up We've got some once stuff. Or twice we don't know how to, long we're going to be going. we got to head yep. back to town, to South Far, and make our goodbyes and make sure everything's yep. set and ready because we don't know how long we're going to be gone. Yep. We don't know where this door leads to. Yeah. Um, there was one point in time, though, where Wesley, we were like, well, we can't keep this child. Like, what are we going to do with it? And uh, wheels started turning for me because I was yeah. like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to figure out who this child is from prior campaigns. Pieces. Yeah. And Wesley was like, all right, well, I can take him to stay with, who was it? Rook and Allura. The Rook and Allura. The wizards yep. who trained yep. I was like, Hoof. I was like, huh, I wonder if I can pry this out of Mitch or put him in a precarious <laughs> position where he's going to, like, giggle or laugh weird and be like, maybe... <laughs> And uh, I said, Kruor thinks that Bastion would be a good name for the child. And I don't think you told us the last name of nope. Rook and Alora yet. Absolutely so I was like, <laughs> I was like, cool. Maybe Brook and Alora Windsailor will like the name Bastion. Yeah. I was like, sweet. Now Kruor is responsible for the name Bastion. And, and there was this Bastion. like eruption of laughter from yeah. the table, just yeah. of like, and and I was kind of, I kind of saw your wheels turning, and I was waiting for you to say something yeah. like that. Because I don't know did, if any of the other guys. I don't got think it. they did. Yeah. And you, uh, you said that, and it was this like instantaneous like ah cameo without having any yeah. idea this is going to be a cameo. So now, like you guys well, have once again solidifying players having a strong part in your world Bastion Windsailor the strongest NPC the most powerful NPC you guys have ever come across in my world who found the child Bastion Windsailor the Riders of Shemesh, the Riders of Shemesh yeah. now have been part of the history of Bastion yeah. yep. which is pretty sweet I also had this moment in time where because Bastion trained up what was what was his name? Karth Stromdale Karth trained up Stromdale, Karth Stromdale. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> and I know you have like multiverse stuff going yeah. on where you have like various timelines and stuff going on. I was like, I wonder what timeline we're in. Could I prevent our whole Sons of Bastion campaign just by sacrificing this <laughs> child? Could that have been prevented? Meh, Kruor is a good guy. He yeah. wouldn't do that. I don't think he wants to sacrifice children. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but my thought process was like, yeah, Bastion helped train the most evil person ever in that timeline who's tried to make a utopia to take over the world. And killed a lot of my characters. <laughs> and killed a lot of my characters. <laughs> I wonder if I could prevent this from ever happening. Nah, I, I can't. I can't sacrifice this child. It is. It is strange when you go back in history and you see cameos of people beforehand. Yeah. At their birth and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and you're like, I know what they're gonna do, like. But that's well, why and we don't. Multiple we don't. Yeah, we don't know which multiverse this is in. Yeah. You know, so. so. It was a it was a very good night, and the guys I had to leave at that point, so I don't know exactly what the guys did after that. I think they went back and just yeah, bought. And we we kind of pretty much stopped there. That we just got yeah. some items and things. they just bought materials and stuff like that for things that they're gonna do. But overall, we got a lot of story done, uh, some interesting things. I still don't trust Wesley for multiple <laughs> no, reasons, you don't, but, but you gave him Bastion. Yep, yep, I did give him Bastion because I had no other choice because he could probably <laughs> kill me. <laughs> but well, I think he's evil. I'm okay. just gonna state it right here. I, here. I think he is evil. I'm I sure think we will find is, out by the end of the campaign. We will. If you are correct. We will. I think he's evil. Okay. 
You heard it here first. DM Chris says that Kuro, Wesley if, Wonders is if evil. If he is evil, Kuro will be the first person to shove a knife through his back. I will <laughs> more than a knife, but right. I will I will be the first person. Predictions to try. are made. Yep. Let us know is Wesley Wonders evil or nay? <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough for story time. Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist the mouthful! No! Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys! Alright, so our first ever episode of Raw Real Monsters. Let's start it off. So we're basically going to come to the table every single one of these episodes in this series. And we'll bring you two monsters, some of which will have different subtypes and different versions. And we will talk a little bit about those. But basically, we'll give you two monsters. And then me and Chris will present to you guys, the listeners, two homebrew creatures that we have created for our own world. And so this week, like Chris said at the beginning, we're going to be looking at Beholders and Spiders. Uh, spiders. Spiders. <laughs> and we will, uh, beyond that, go into our homebrew creatures, which we're not going to reveal until we get there. Uh, but first off, let's talk about the Beholder. If you are not familiar with the Beholder, chances Shame are, on you. <laughs> shame <laughs> on you. You probably haven't been playing D&D yeah, that long. No, no, uh, no big deal. The Beholder is a staple of D&D. It's on the cover of the 5th edition Monster's Manual. Yep. It's, uh, it's plastered everywhere. When you see... When you think of D&D monsters, it's one of the first D&D monsters you're going to think of. It's been around since first edition, and it's been going strong to the present. Uh, it was created with first edition in 1975. So Beholders are uh, older than we are, Chris. Yes. And so uh, the Beholder is considered, like I said, one of the most classic D&D monsters. It is one of the few monsters that Wizards of the Coast has product identity with. So basically, you will not see a Beholder in a Pathfinder book. Uh, if a pa- if you're playing a Pathfinder game and you're using a Beholder, you better watch out because the Wizards of the Coast police are going to come down on your house and they're going to arrest you and put you away forever. Forever. In their, in their Wizards of the Coast dungeons, which I hear are pretty terrible. <laughs> and if you're Wiz- Pathfinder, they'll probably make you play Dungeons and Dragons the whole time you're down Wizards there. Wizards of the Coast 2, Dungeons of Horror. <laughs> yeah, Dungeons of Horror. <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah, it's... It's one of the official Dungeons and Dragons monsters, along with Mind Flayers and a couple others. But basically, if you don't know what a Beholder is, a Beholder is a floating orb of flesh with a large mouth, a singular central eye, and then on top of its head, it also has, which I guess its whole body is a head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it has many other smaller eye stalks, so almost like limb-like. Yeah, there's with yeah. eyes instead of hands yeah. at the at the tops of them, little eyeballs. And each of those eye stalks normally, if we're talking about normal beholders, has uh, different powers in themselves, yep. different magical powers. Yep. This monster type of beholder is one of the monster types of aberrations, which basically what that means is normally an aberration is a monster that is generally, it has all kinds of bizarre anatomies. Uh, it has strange abilities. Uh, it has alien mindsets. Or it's a combination of all of those. In fact, some aberrations are, when you look at their D&D lore, aliens. I think actually the Beholder might be, might actually have in some D&D lore, alien origin stories. So, but it is, you look at it and it is absolutely something you could, you could think of that. And it has very 
strange. It looks very strange. <laughs> yeah, it's not something that you would look at and be like, oh, this, yeah, this looks like a normal thing. This for looks a like world. something I, I mean, might have encountered fantasy, in RL. <laughs> in a fantasy world, what really is normal? Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things that you think of, it's like, there's so many things that's like, okay, how is a giant, massive orb of flesh floating all the time? Like, I know there's levitation spells and stuff like that, but like, how is this thing floating all the time? Why does it have all these weird appendages sticking off of its body? And that's why I love magic because you, know, you just can explain to me this DM. No magic. No, I don't have. That's to. my explanation. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the beholder is an aberration, and when it comes down to different types of beholders, there's actually a lot of different types of beholders, and so we're gonna go into just a, a short description of uh, just a few of the major beholder types. And so, uh, first off, the Elder Orb. The Elder Orb is a type of Beholder that's a lot rarer than the traditional Beholder. Uh, the Elder Orb is a Beholder that has a longer lifespan than other Beholders. It's also much more powerful than the traditional Beholders. The Hive Mother is another one that says uh, these, these are even rarer than the Elder Orb, so these are ones that you're not going to come across like ever, I unless mean, you, your DM is me. Unless your DM is extremely <laughs> high level campaigns. Mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, their name implies a feminine gender, but they are gen- normally gender neutral. Yeah, um, the elders don't really have a gender. Yeah, not that, not that I know of. Anyways, that'd be really weird if they did. Like where no. <laughs> all eyeballs. <laughs> we, we won't go. Nothing into, else. Yeah, we won't go into anatomy things for both. Eyeballs. Yeah, <laughs> eyeballs. Uh, their name stems from the fact that they have the ability to magically dominate other beholders. So this is something that. There might be a hive mother, and they send five or six different beholders after you, however many there they are in charge of. That is one of, of the most, like, besides the fact that a hive mother is scary in its own right, super powerful. You look at the stats for these things, they're really powerful. They're mm-hmm. a high-level encounter. Oh, yeah. Besides the fact that they are scary by themselves, you're not going to really find, unless you have this whole story of why, you're not going to run across a hive mother as a random encounter just by himself, a hive mother is going to normally be in a beholder lair surrounding itself with other beholders that Mm -hmm. it dictates and tells them uh, what to do. The next type of beholder that we want to talk a little bit about is called a death tyrant beholder. Now, a death tyrant beholder is an undead beholder, so it's a creature that is died and has been risen again by uh, necrotic means, but it also, besides being undead, it also carries over some of its magical ability as well as being undead. So just think of a, you've got that fleshy floating orb, now you have rotting fleshy floating orb. Uh, I almost picture like completely pupilless eye uh, drooling out of its giant mouth as it wants to rip off and eat your flesh, but it's also got these magical abilities. What's crazy, what we'll talk about in a little bit with spiders too, is like there's a lot of like negative energy going on with these things. With the Death Tyrants in 5th edition, you can't regain any health points mm-hmm. when you're in the area. I think it's like 160 or 50 feet or That's something awful. like that. <laughs> you cannot regain health points in any way, shape, or form, which that in and of itself, like, Beholders are already scary enough. If you can't regain health points, it's like, oh, crap. We are so screwed by these things. Any type of monster, especially if it's a Beholder, if it has death in the title, you want to stay away from it. Speaking of monsters with death in the title... Yeah, Death Kiss is the next one. These creatures' eye stalks are replaced with blood-draining tentacles. This thing's body is covered with a powerful electric aura. Like, it just emanates electricity off of this thing. These things are not things you would be me- want to mess with. Electricity damage is... I know what getting shocked is, like rubbing my feet across the floor and getting shocked <laughs> when I touch the door for, or the doorknob. 
I would imagine amplify that by like a million times, and Quite that's what you, that's what you're dealing with with a yeah. death kiss. Death these things, <laughs> these things are crazy. These are not things you want to kiss. <laughs> yeah, right. You right. do not want this yeah, kiss. This right. death kiss. Yeah. Uh, the next one is known as a director. I like these. The director is a type of beholder that's found commonly in beholder communities. Uh, normally, they they're led by hive mothers or an overseer, which we'll talk about in a little bit. A beholder director has six eye stalks, and instead of the regular nine eye stalks that a bowler has, three of its what would be eye stalks are clawed tentacles, and it uses these clawed tentacles to hold on to monstrous vermin mounts. We, ju- we just said we're going to be talking about spiders la- later. A director beholder might be a beholder that you encounter riding on a huge monster spider. That'd be pretty, that's that'd be terrifying. pretty stinging cool. Yeah. That is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. This beholder is just kind of like, you know what, I could float everywhere, but I'm too good for that. I'm yeah. just going to ride. And I just, um, basically what I think the directors are meant to do is kind of move around and make sure for the hive mother or the overseers that all the other beholders, or we'll get to this a little bit in more detail, but beholders will enslave creatures that are lower oh, yeah. in their mind than them or yep. less powerful. And so they're going to be riding around and making sure that their slaves or the other beholders who are uh, less down the chain of command are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yep. The next one is the Eye of the Deep. This is a, this is an Eye of the Deep. Rarely comes into conflict with true beholders. Uh, this is an aquatic variant that dwells deep underwater. Hashtag Richard Howard. Hashtag Rich Howard. I bet he would love these things. Uh, it only has two eye stalks, but it's massive pinchers. Anything that has pinchers are, or pincers are just <laughs> annoying as yeah. all get out. Uh, we faced a scorpion that had pincers in your world, and that oh, was just, yeah. that was so annoying. Almost a TPK. Almost <laughs> a TPK. Uh, and they make for extremely dangerous combat. I mean, you, you think already you're, if you're not an underwater creature, you're trying to swim or do whatever you are in an underwater world, and you come across an eye of the deep that can move, has tons of magical abilities, and as a beholder, those are not things that you want to run into <laughs> as players. Those things are terrifying. The next one is, here we go. This one's not so terrifying. You can all take a, a little bit of a breather with this one. The next one is simply called an eyeball. And what an eyeball is, it's a it's a type of really tiny, in, in fact, I think that's what it is. It's a tiny, in, as far as size in D&D, beholder kin. Uh, and it has four eye stalks. Now, these things are actually very popular among some wizard circles as a type of creature that will be used as a familiar. Yep. Um, I'm a little bit upset at myself that I've never had yeah, an eyeball I, familiar. I, know, this I is, love wizards. When I was looking through this outline, I saw this and I was like, man, this is something that I want to have as a familiar <laughs> next time I play a wizard. That yeah. thing would be so cool to have. Well, it's great as a, you know, usually I've seen lots of people take eagles or falcons or whatever as uh, wizard familiars and then they send them up into the air to go and scout for them. But this thing is way better than that because it's just like other beholders. It's just it's an eyeball. Yeah, it's right. gonna be really good. It floats. It's perfect at flying. It floats up and it can just look on yep. spot all around for you. Yep. Uh, who doesn't want a little eyeball floating around their wizard PC? Like that's awesome. Yeah. If you're that, a wizard PC, take yourself. Well, that'd eyeball. be really cool because then you're like you automatically gain respect wherever you go. Like, yeah. oh, you have you have an eyeball as your <laughs> as your familiar. Uh, I think that'd be awesome if you were a wizard. Who here we go? Here's here's some inspiration for you that I just just pulled out of nowhere. 
I think it'd be awesome if you were a wizard who lost an eye, and instead of using a glass I eye, I was thinking about familiar that. eyeball. I was thinking <laughs> that about that. Awesome. You had some t- sort of it like hides as your eye, it, almost yeah. like Mad Eye Moody from oh, uh, from Harry Potter. It's it's still it's always looking in whatever direction it wants because it's not your that eye. That just makes That's me great, that man. just makes me cringe. Like it's in your eye socket, but there's like little tentacles coming out of your <laughs> eyes still at the same time. So oh, yeah, there's stops. little eyeballs oh. as well. Oh, you'd look so weird. <laughs> That'd be so nasty. Yeah. I don't. Never mind. I don't think that's. A good I totally idea. want it. Yeah. I totally want. I, it. Next, I next totally wizard. Want it. I yeah. totally want. It. All right, moving on. The next one is a gouth. Uh, a gouth is a beholder kin that feeds on magic as well as flesh. They have six eye stalks, one of which is used to drain magic from items. So that in and of itself is annoying. Yeah. Uh, and four feeding tendrils. These mo- uh, the most obvious feature of a gouth is its central eye, which affects the viewer's mind and is surrounded by a ridge of flesh and many small eyes used for sight. So this little, this, this central eye is used to peer into the minds of the people around them, which in and of itself is annoying because you have your fears. That thing could sense your fears and use whatever you fear against you too, if it wanted to. Well, even the sense that it feeds on magic from magical items. Yeah. It's basically, in a sense, the rust monster of beholders. Of magic items. Of magic yeah. items, <laughs> yeah. which is worse because, okay, all right, rust monster, eat my non-masterwork longsword, whatever, but this guy's coming after your nice equipment. Yeah, right. <laughs> like... Oh, your plus one shield? Yeah. Nah, no more. <laughs> nope, sorry, buddy. Uh, the next one that we have to talk about is, uh, that we want to mention is the gouger. A gouger is a, it's a type of beholder that has ten eye stalks that are magically useless. Its central eye still retains that anti-magic properties that a true beholder has. It also has four small legs that hang down from the creature's underside. So this beholder almost looks like a weird spider-ish yeah. creature. The gouger's most hideous feature, though, is its long barbed tongue. And this is interesting. Its barbed tongue is adept at temporarily neutralizing beholder eye stalks. So its eye stalks do not have magic themselves, but it's basically its most powerful weapon is the fact that it has this barbed tongue that can stop other beholders, their eye stalks, from being able to battle. Now, I imagine, like, beholders, which will... We'll mention later. Well, we'll mention it now, too. Yeah. Uh, they they don't get along always with each other. That's a little bit of an understatement. Yep. Uh, and so this beholder, the gougers, they don't have magical eye stalks. So they're normally used to fighting without magical eye stalks. But then they come into battle with other beholders who normally rely on their eye stalks. They stop their eye stalks from being able to do anything. I feel like that gives them a little bit of an upper hand if they're fighting other beholders. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if they can't, if other beholders can't use their magic. Yeah, yeah they're that, like, what's going on? That does make a difference, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is an overseer. We mentioned them a little bit earlier, but an overseer is the most dangerous of the known beholder kin. Uh, rivaling the power of the hive mother, an overseer resembles nothing so much as a large fleshy tree with mouths on its trunk and eyes on its branches. Yeah, so these things, like it says, they're really powerful. They're not true beholders. But of all the beholder kin, creatures that are related and part beholder, these things are the things that you want to watch out for the most. They're not as powerful as hive mothers, but you could almost have two warring beholder colonies fighting, one of which is led by a hive mother, one of which is led by an overseer. And these things are, like, look up a picture of them. They're very strange looking. They're basically a tree with 
on each of their branches. Their branches are their eye stalks, and so they have eyes on them. They have gaping mouths at the bottom of them. They're strange creatures that could lead to some very interesting encounters and stories. Now, the next one is really interesting. It's called a spectator. Uh, and a spectator is different than the other beholderkin. It's an extra planar beholderkin with four eye stalks. It's somewhat mild and even tempered, which is different <laughs> than the more violent every other beholder. <laughs> uh, and a spectator has even been known to form friendships with other creatures, which is a trait that no other beholder or true beholder ever displays. They may, may surround themselves with other creatures, but they're going to be some sort of slave or mount. But the spectator is actually a type of beholder that if you want a friendly beholder in your world, spectator would be the one that you'd go looking for. The last one is the Umbrascard. They were once a proud member of the infamous race Eye of Tyrants. These beholders were captured by the Umbrigan and immersed within the writhing pits of shadow. This cruel and vicious process warped their fairy flesh, amputating eye stalks and tearing out their central eye, and transforming them into feral beasts who no longer seek their own ends, but instead tirelessly pursue the destruction of all that lives. So these are like, these are beholders that just got amputated. Yeah. Like they, they, they have nothing left. They just hate everything around them. Like because... we talked about those death tyrants, those undead beholders, yeah. rotting flesh. Like these things probably have, look like they almost have like stitches all over, but they have no eyes. Eyes have been cut off. Central eyes have been cut out. Like these things are disgusting creatures. Like they look disgusting, but then that feral attribute, like imagine having to like, Go into a cavern where you know these things are just like moving around. Yeah. Beholders in general, not friendly creatures, but at the very least, you could use intelligence and diplomacy to possibly talk to them. They're going to try and turn on you. They're going to try and take, kill you if you don't have, but you could trick a beholder in a sense. These guys, these Umberscard, there's no tricking them. There's no diplomacy. There's no talking to them. There's no slavery of which you might be able to escape. It's just eating your face off. <laughs> yeah, they they just simply want to kill you no, yes. ma no matter what it takes. Yeah, Exactly. So those are a, a couple of the... There are more, so if you are really interested in Beholders, go look up uh, other ones. I know I think 5th edition has added a couple new ones. 4th edition, I think, has added a couple. But who wants to talk about 4th edition? No, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> uh, but yeah, so if you want to look up different Beholders, there are a couple more, but those are... Uh, a bunch of the most famous ones. So as you can see already, there's a bunch of different ways you can use this one specific monster and break it off into all these different types of monsters. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the special abilities, the special powers that beholders generally have. It's pretty common that most beholders and beholder can all have a central eye, yep. which is going to be their biggest eye. On a beholder, it's it's almost their entire body. Yeah. Their whole head is basically a big eye with a mouth at the bottom surrounded yep. by a, a tightly wrapped flesh. And so this central eye for all true beholders and a lot of beholder kin has a cone. So that's the area that it sends out. Yep. A cone of anti-magic. They're able to, a lot of them are able to control that. They can turn it on and off. They can turn it whatever direction they want to yep. at the same so time. So whatever way that they are looking with their central eye anti-magic field. That means any wizards that are going to fight a beholder, if the beholder is looking right at them, and once again, it's it's important to point out, beholders are intelligent creatures. Very In fact, genius creatures. They are mm -hmm. all super smart. Yep. So a beholder's not going to be the dumb monster encounter where they're not going after the mage first because they don't know any better. A beholder's going to see that mage in 
that robe with the quarterstaff, as soon as they start trying to cast spells, going to look directly at them so that when they cast spells, you can say, nothing happens. Yep. And if your players don't know anything about Beholders, they're going to be going, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And they can cast spells if they can get around to where the line of sight is out or if the Beholder turns off the anti-magic cone. That being said, there is a downside to a Beholder's anti-magical cone. Any of its eye stalks that all of them have all these different sorts of powers, uh, which can can be different spells such as Charm Monster, Charm Person, Disintegrate, so it gets pretty terrible. Yeah. Fear, Finger of Death, terrible. Flesh to Stone, Inflict Moderate Rude, Sleep, Slow, Telekinesis. Some of those, not so bad. Some of those are Awful. Yeah. Uh, but basically, anybody who's in that ant cone of anti-magic, if the Beholder's casting it, the eye stalks can't hit them. So that's, for a fighter, where do you want to be to fight a You want to be within that cone. You want to be in that cone slashing at that thing's central eye. That's where you want to be. Yeah. Just take that bite damage, because it's going to be the safest place. Yeah, it's going to be a lot safer than taking 10d10 death damage. And like that's kind of how, damage. yeah, yeah. Or roll roll that forward save, or you're dead. Yeah, you're right, dead. yeah, right, like, exactly. It's terrible. But that's kind of one of the ways that a Beholder in general fights. A Beholder is completely based off of if they're going to go into a battle, especially against humanoids, it's all about just creating chaos so that you can win. Charm that person. Cast fear on that person. Turn that guy into stone. Put that guy to sleep. Slow that guy down. The scary thing is they can use every single one of these powers as a free action mm-hmm. in battle. They're terrible. These things, we, we want to stress this, these things are not level one encounters. No, these they're not. These things are scary. They're not. Um, you want to take these things out as quick as you can because they are frightening, frightening monsters. To go along with that, because they're a giant eye with other eyes, they have all They can vision. see <laughs> all the way around. Yep. Them, there's yes. no flanking. There's no flat-footed. Nope. They are all about... There's no surprising to be holder. No. That's, they, they always know that you're coming. Yeah. They can always see you no matter where you are. And that's part of the, the scary thing, too, is... I would say, what's the best way to take out a Beholder? You surprise them. There really isn't... Well, and with dark vision of, like, over 100 feet, it's like, yeah, you're not really sneaking up on anything. If you're fighting a Beholder, you're generally going to be in their territory, in their environment. Besides that, they fly. Yeah. (laughs) So... They're, they can fly up, come down, whatever it is. Well, there's there's a reason, too, in the 5th edition why Death Tyrants, they have lair properties, yeah. too. That their lair, they can do things within their lair that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise, you know. You fight a Beholder, you're generally fighting them on their own ground. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. going to have that advantage. Not that they need it. <laughs> yeah, they don't really need it, but that always does help. <laughs> yes. So where do we normally find these things? Normally, in most of the books, I'm reading through one of the Greyhawk books now, you find them in the Underdark. Mm-hmm. That's where you're generally going to find them. That's, that's where, where I they tend to a lot hang of them, out. Their origin stories are, yep. unless they come from outer space in some of their origin stories, uh, they're originally from the Underdark. Yep. If they've spread out anywhere else, it's because they've spread out to yep. different places. Yep, you can find them in underground caverns. They they carve them out with their eye rays, their disintegration yep. rays. Uh, they have both vertical and horizontal tunnels yeah. because they can float. Be- yeah, so basically if you go into, if you have to invade a beholder's cavern it's gonna be really hard for almost every single kind of pc race because most of them don't have wings if you're a wizard hopefully you can cast fly because they they purposely make their k their caverns go horizontal and vertical because they can perfectly just float up them float down them float across float in whatever direction but they know they're smart they know hey if we get invaded by humanoid creatures who can't fly 
we have completely. Well, I just think too, if you're in a beholder's layer trying to get up to it and you have to climb up like a a vertical shaft, I just think like, what happens if you encounter a beholder while you're climbing up a vertical shaft? It's like, well, you can't really fight at that point in time because you're harnessed in or whatever. As a player, I would hope that they'd be coming up at me because I'd go, hey, at least I have a chance to drop down on this right. type of attack. But if they come, Hopefully if it doesn't they come, swallow me, but if it's coming yeah, down on right. me, I can drop to my death. <laughs> yeah. Or I can wait here to yeah, die. Right. But if they're coming from the top, it's like, uh, Here's the plan crap. of action. Hello, Mr. Beholder, I'm here to be your slave. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then hopefully the charm person doesn't work and you can fake it, yeah. and then you just turn on them once you get back to where they're going to hold uh, you. Because, yeah, if they come down on you from above... Chances are you're probably screwed. Because if you're floating and anti-magic happens that you're flying up to, it's like, well, you just drop. I mean, there's nothing you can really do at that point in time. (laughs) There's also been a few cases where they showed up in sewers. But you can, of course, use them. I mean, these things are, once again, they're not dumb creatures. They're really intelligent. Uh, I've heard stories where uh, beholders have been the leader of a thieves' guild in a city and such. So you can bring them out into the open world. You just want to have a good backstory of why this beholder is there. They're going to want to be in a position of power. But yeah, there's there's been stories of them being in sewers as well. I have a specific story about that later uh, when we talk about adventure and encounter ideas for the beholder. Uh, but before we do that, let's let's talk a little bit more about what makes up a beholder's psychology and also just anything else interesting that we find about a beholder. Beholders are xenophobic, which means that they have an intense or irrational dislike or fear of people from other countries or just any other people. Yeah, um, any so other races or anything like that, they other, just are you know, very I, suspicious of. I think that for the most part, it when we talk about beholders, it's more talking about the dislike, racism, thinking that other creatures, other people are lower than them. And so that leads to a lot of the other interactions that they would have with other creatures. Yeah, they they are known to be very greedy, so they'll they'll want all of the gold that they can, they'll want all of the treasures that they can. They will generally stockpile these things within their layers. They're very they're very very violent. Uh, they are known to when they kill something, rip it apart and eat it, whatever they, they want to do. I mean, they don't they, they don't wait and talk about things. No. They they see an intruder, they're going to attack you. Yeah, they are very 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 power hungry. So anything that comes in that equals them in power or whatever they are going to try to destroy they'll try and take over places i mean they just they just generally are very very hungry for power they'll go and enslave other races like we talked about with hive mothers and overseers they will enslave other beholders that don't aren't as powerful as them yeah the beholders are also all beholders it goes along with uh, this mentality all beholders also see themselves as the pinnacle of beholder kind. So we talked about all these different types of beholders. Uh, every single one of the beholders, you'll never meet a beholder that goes, oh yeah, this beholder type, they're better than us. Yeah, right. They all think they're the pinnacle of beholder types. And uh, they all have this uh, loathsome hate for other beholders. They believe that other beholders are inferior, inferior to them. In fact, it goes even beyond different types to that beholder is green, I'm a red beholder, those green beholders are disgusting. Yeah, any sort of different color variation or appendage variation or anything like that, they are going back to the xenophobic type thing. They're just like, I can't, I can't trust this type of yeah. beholder. I'm, yeah, they will do whatever they can to express themselves in saying, I am stronger than you as a beholder. One of my favorite parts about the beholders is that 
they actually have two separate minds. Their minds are, well, not two separate minds, but their minds are divided into two separate entities. And so each beholder has two separate entities in its mind, sometimes working together, sometimes battling out for control. And this is what would be considered the definition of sanity or insanity for each beholder. A beholder that is seen as a sane beholder is a beholder that both entities in its mind are open with each other, do not keep secrets from each other, they they know what each other are thinking, and so they work together more cohesively to, to accomplish the goals of each beholder that we're talking about, these sane beholders. An insane beholder would be a beholder that it's the two entities in its mind are are divided, they keep secrets from each other, so they are paranoid of the, each other. They think that they're going to betray each other. Like, this is all going on in one beholder's head. Like, it has two separate entities fighting for control. And so these beholders are considered insane because they're often at war with themselves, not able to, like, be able to accomplish something together. But I almost feel like these beholders would be, one beholder would have its own motives, and so... Whoever is vying for power at the time, whoever has control, is going to be going after their own goals. This goes a little bit further because even sane beholders, if you do get a chance to converse with them or there's other beholders conversing with each other, if you were to talk to beholder, a single beholder, and you, you don't say its full name of both entities, but you say one of the entities' names, then that will almost start that paranoia starting up in the beholder. Like, why is he just talking to... To this me, why not this me as well? I imagine like an almost golem-like interaction with a beholder. That's like, a good way to describe yeah. it. Whether yeah. it's audibly like between them, like I you can actually hear yeah. it, or it's like in their mind, like I saying didn't, it. I didn't find anything about it anywhere, and I, I think you can make a good case that these things are smart creatures, and so they're not talking out loud yeah. to each other. But there's just something awesome about going through the Underdark as adventurers, and you see a Beholder float by, and it's talking to itself, <laughs> and yeah, arguing with right, itself. Right. I imagine the sane ones, or the insane ones, definitely could be seen arguing with themselves. Probably. Whereas the sane ones more, they're trying to not give away their plans or anything, so the ones that are sane would not be right. speaking out loud about their powers and giving villainous monologues. But the insane ones, I think that works very well for so let's talk about some ways that you could use beholders, whether it's in an adventure itself or in an encounter type scenario. When I was younger and I didn't even play D&D, I played the Baldur's Gate video games and I fell in love with them. In the second Baldur's Gate game, you came into contact with beholders, one in the Underdark, but you also could find them in the city in the sewers, like we mentioned before. Uh, there was this side quest that you could go on for... I think a multiple number of temples gave out the side quests, basically whoever you decided to follow. Uh, and you would go into the city, uh, and you would go into the sewers of the city after this cult. You didn't know what, what this cult was about, but it was called the Cult of the Unseeing Eye. And so eventually what you found out was you fa you talked to this one guy who uh, didn't want to be part of the cult anymore, and he had he had no eyes. So, like He had gouged out his eyes, right. and he tells you about this cult, and he's like, go after them. So you go and you find other people like this. They send you off to, to uh, on a quest to prove yourself, and then you'll get to meet with the unseeing eye. Eventually, you meet with this unseeing eye, and it's a beholder that has gouged out its its main eye or lost its main eye, its central eye in some means. 
And then, of course, battle ensues. Right. Uh, but I really like this idea of how do we get, you know, we're talking about beholders can appear beyond the Underdark, beyond underground caverns. They can appear as intelligent beings in the world, but they should have a purpose. Why are they there? Well, this beholder was leading a cult. And everybody who, a cult is full of fanatical worshippers, and they're all doing everything the beholder wanted to do. And so you could, you know, if you don't have players who have played Baldur's Gate 2, this is a great side quest that you could send them on, or main quest or whatever, to take out the cult of the unseeing eye led by a beholder without his anti-magical central eye. Yeah. So you could also do uh, some sort of hook or adventure or encounter that, say you have to go and infiltrate the beholder's lair because... Either one of your group members has become a prisoner, a rich person who the beholders is after their greed has been captured, a princess has been captured, a king has been captured. I mean, whatever you want to do. It could be a numerous It could be numerous of amounts of things. You have to infiltrate a beholder's lair, which in 5th edition they have a ton of different rules. I was just talking to Mitch yeah. about the beholder lair options that you could yeah, do with 5th edition. we talked about the vertical and uh, horizontal lair tunnels, but in 5th edition they got lair the layer is almost another element of the monster yeah. that you have to worry about. The layer has the an action as well that it can scary do. scary in themselves. Yep, so you, you have to infiltrate to free these slaves, or otherwise these people are going to be eaten for dinner. You know? <laughs> possibly. If possibly. Slaves. possibly. <laughs> slaves uh, or dinner. They yeah, might sla- be both. Slaves or dinner or whatever their, their purpose for being there is. You have to infiltrate them and free them while getting to feel all of the fun effects that a beholder can have on somebody. Or... You could have your group capture themselves. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, another way that you could use uh, a beholder in a story, an adventure, is there are beholder mages. And beholder mages are outcasts from regular beholder society. And the reason is because for a beholder to learn uh, to be a wizard and to cast spells, well, they have to completely destroy their central anti-magic cone of effect eye. Uh, and so they would destroy their eye... And so beholders can obviously see with their other eye stalks, but no longer do they have this central eye. They're outcasts from regular beholder society. If they're if they come into contact with other beholders, the other beholders are going to probably kill them. Yes. So so a beholder mage would be someone that you would encounter by themselves. Uh, that possibly with their beholder mentality, maybe they control other lesser powerful beholders, uh, but generally they're not going to be in a hive community. And so what you could do is, of course, you can just have a an encounter with a Beholder Mage, a battle. Uh, or you could make a storyline, a quest in which a Beholder Mage has uncovered a very deep and dark secret that, for whatever reason, your PCs need to find out. And, of course, a Beholder Mage who's discovered a secret like this is not going to give it away, not going to give it away freely. So, beyond killing this thing, you got to keep it alive. So you can figure out and find out what what it is that you're going to, whatever the secret is that they hold. Yeah. So you have to capture, you have to hinder this beholder mage. Whether it's threatening to gouge out its eye or something its like that. Eyes, yeah, its yeah. other eyes, yep. Um, that's a good case where you might need a anti-magic device to stop that beholder. Yeah. Because if you can stop a beholder from using any of its magic, it's... It's a big, fleshy... It's pretty well neutered at that I mean, point it's, in time. Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of health, but its bite isn't all that bad. No. <laughs> its bite isn't all that bad. Uh, so uh, you could figure that way out and have that be a quest that your PCs go along, and you can kind of add things into your story that uh, give them opportunities to come across an anti-magic, magical item, or lead them to maybe finding a book in the library and reading about it. I don't know. 
Uh, but a, a Beholder <laughs> Mage would be a good encounter and a good story plot to put in at, for a Beholder. Yep. So the next monster we want to talk about after the Beholder is a spider. They are, you know, what what are spiders? They're, they're one of those things that's also another one of those staples within the fantasy fantasy world. Yeah, uh, not just of D&D in this case, but any, no, right. lots of fantasy stories beyond the D&D world, like Tolkien. Obviously, uh, obviously with Shelop and stuff yeah. like that. Spiders are very, Harry very common. Harry Potter, Potter yeah. Spiders are a big staple of fantasy. They're the types of things in fantasy world you think of creepy, crawly darkness. Spiders are are probably there. They're they're one of those things that are are feared by many. I mean, there's arachnophobia. A lot of yeah. people have arachnophobia because spiders are just weird looking. Like you look at a spider, you're like, what the? This is not this is not normal. Our buddy they, uh, who used to play with us, Mark from Washington. Oh yeah, had arachnophobia. Yeah. Whenever I dropped a spider, he gave me the same look that you give me when I whenever you sp- drop a snake. snake down. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so they they are just things that are weird looking, and people generally fear them because of their bite, because they're hairy, because they have you know tons of legs, whatever legs. it is that eight legged freaks, yeah, man. whatever whatever it is, they they are generally seen as a staple within fantasy and D and D worlds because they're just freaky. And so what what type of monster are they? They are considered vermin. Some of them are. Uh, they are. They're mindless for the most part. There's some exceptions to that. We'll talk about yeah. some of those in a little bit. If they have that vermin trait, that means they're mindless. They're mindless. They have no intelligence whatsoever, uh, which makes them immune to all mind-affecting effects. <laughs> they're char- they can't be charmed. There's no. Com- they can't have compulsions, phantasms, patterns, morale effects. None of those things can affect a spider if it is considered a vermin and having no intelligence score. If uh, not then it's considered a magical beast. Right. Beyond that, with its vermin traits and magical beasts, they almost all of them have dark vision. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's what their monster type is. Uh, so if they're if they don't have an intelligence score, if they're not intelligent spiders, they're vermin. And so let's talk about some variant species and subtypes of spiders, ones that uh, are common to D and D. So obviously there's just regular spiders. Uh, now, in D&D, a spider monster ranges from size all the way from tiny, so you got pretty much, yeah, tarantulas, and then it goes to colossal. So you have spiders that are bigger than dragons. Those spiders would be a lot more scary than the tiny spiders. <laughs> but you have monster spiders, ones going to the colossal size, crazy, giant spiders. You also, beyond that, you have spider swarms. Uh, we just recently fought some spider swarms in your game, Chris. Yeah, we fought uh, them in your game in the past yep. before. Spider swarms. Swarm is another type of creature subtype, and it adds some really interesting challenges to a battle yep. for your PCs. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're, there's not really a... I mean, you don't have to roll to hit with a swarm. They just automatically hit. And they do a lot of poison damage that can greatly affect kinda, you after a they while. They kind of just envelop you and jump all on yep. top of you. And they're immune to regular attacks. You yeah, so you have to use or magic or fire, or fire or in order to, to defeat them. And so they're kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. They are, if your players have never played against them, they're a fun little thing to add in that's like, okay, what, I mean, if you have players that read the monster manual, these are a fun thing that if they haven't read this portion of it, can be quite fun to, to throw in there. You also have phase spiders, which Mitch, did we face some of these in, in your campaign recently? No, uh, we faced the next ones. Phase spiders okay. are actually, Way worse than the ones we're going to talk about next. Base spiders are, they're intelligent. Uh, they, they're not like super intelligent. They have intelligence of seven, which is for a spider, <laughs> they're intelligent creatures. The, the thing that's scary about these things is they're all about hunting their prey, 
but they're called phase spiders because they can move at will between the material, that's where they live, the material plane, but they can move whenever they want to the ethereal plane. So if they are trying to stalk you, they're going to be on the ethereal plane, and they can get right up behind you. They're going to move unseen behind you. Right up behind you, bite you, and go right back to the ethereal plane. So it's just flickering of phase spiders popping in, popping out. They are really dangerous. They could kill you. Well, because they're they, they're unseen. They can't. I mean, you walk into a, an area where there's a ton of phase spiders. That's gonna suck. You pretty much have to just ready an action of an attack and hope that you can make it in time and and hit it when it comes into when it pops in before it pops out. Yeah, uh, they're they're dangerous. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, the next one we have is Aranea. Uh, these are the ones that we fought. These are, okay, these are the ones that we fought. They have an intelligence of fourteen. So they're very very, smart. very intelligent and they shape shift. Um, with sorceress powers and its natural form they resemble a very big spider with a humpbacked body they're they're a little bit bigger than like a human torso uh it's fanged mandibles are like a normal spider two small arms each about two feet long they lie they lie below those mandibles each arm has a hand with four many jointed fingers and a double jointed thumb i've heard them be called and i think in fourth edition actually calls them wear spiders yeah (laughs) like yeah that's that's basically what they are because they have three forms they have their spider form they have their human form they can transform completely into a human and they can transform into a that weird creature that you just described yeah which is like half spider spider, half half, almost edder cap looking yeah but with more arms so uh but i mean these things are super smart yeah when you guys faced them they were spiders they were casting spells on you right which made which we were like, what the heck? Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, and beyond that, these things can, if they don't want to just outright attack you, can transform into a human saying that they've been attacked by spiders and lure you right into their cave, oh, into yeah. a trap. Yep. Or, or whatever else it is. They could transform into a kid who needs help finding their parents who are lost in a cave, whatever it is. They yeah, it sounds be, like that's a good way. They're intelligent. I mean, they're tricky. Yeah, they can, they can lure you in in many, many different mm-hmm. ways. So the next one we're going to talk about is the Tomb Spider, and I know this was made pretty big in uh, in 3.5 editions in Monster Manual 4, so if you haven't spent the time reading through all the Monster Manuals, go back and look at, at this particular spider. The Tomb Spider is crazy. They are so cool. They are also an intelligent spider. They're not as intelligent as the Aranea or the Phase Spider, but these things have some pretty cool abilities about them. One in particular is their poison, which we were talking about this a little bit it's earlier. Terrible. Their poison I mean, it's, is... It's not terrible. It's not awful it's more of a, unless your players discover it. Could it could do nothing, or it could kill your characters. Yeah, so what, what ends up happening is when you're poisoned by this thing, it makes it so if you're healed by positive energy, it actually does damage to you. So it makes, Like you were undead. Like you were undead. So it makes it seem... You're supposed to be healed by negative energy. So if you have a cleric or somebody that has healing abilities within your group... Let's hope that you're not poisoned by a spider and then fall to really <laughs> low health and need to be healed while you're poisoned by this thing. Because say they, they roll and they heal you for 11 points of damage. Well, you're at 1 damage if you play with negative 10 and 3.5 or whatever, or however you play with death rules. You're pretty much dead at that point in time. You're going to have to start slipping into that realm of death. Okay, how the heck do I survive as a character now? And your players are going to look around and be like, what? What just? I just healed him. Like, what in the world just happened, you know? But like we said, you may never discover that you were even poisoned by this thing. It lasts thing. for a minute. It lasts if you for a beat minute. The spider before healing is a really big issue. Yeah, you won't even know. Yep. But if you do find out, 
it could be a really it could be too late yeah Yeah. too late yep depending (laughs) on what level you are in the game they go to use a cure moderate wounds or cure severe wounds it's like well you just actually killed your friend (laughs) instead of helping them you know so what also happens with the tomb spider that makes them even crazier and even cooler in my opinion is that if you die within their lair so say a, a you're either healed by your cleric buddy or whatever, and you just die. You lay there as a corpse, right? Mm-hmm. Your friends leave you there. Like, if they can't get you out or whatever, they have to run away. Your character becomes what's called a web mummy. The tomb spider comes over, rips you open, whatever they do, plants their young inside of you, like lays the eggs inside of you, and you're reanimated as a web mummy, as That's a cur- as a curse. So your friends come back. You're a web mummy now hey, within your group. Uh, why is that? Mummy wearing a uh, Robert's hat. <laughs> yeah. So then, then, then the the web mummies, the tomb spiders, use the web mummies as hosts for their young. When a small or large web mummy is destroyed, so Swarms? say your friends, yeah, the swarm Swarms. pops out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when a swarm, when a small or large web mummy is destroyed, a brood swarm is released from the corpse and can act on the next round, which is also freaking cool and freaking crazy. So say you walk into a tomb spider's lair, there's some zombies walking around. You kill these things. Oh, cool! You just killed them, but now you're dealing with brood swarm, <laughs> tomb spider brood swarms too at the same time. Tomb spiders are terrible. Yeah, those they're... things are crazy. I wish I would have known about these before last time I ran my campaign with <laughs> glad spiders. You didn't. I'm glad. Yeah, you're glad I didn't. These things are Corral, so freaking cool. Mummy. Yeah, Corral, the web, the web mummy. Yeah, mummy. Mo- the web mummy barbarian wizard. Yeah, but can you imagine like if even not like saying Karab would have died, but if he would have died, and then your friends came around the corner and you're just standing there, <laughs> and they just like you, they start fighting you, and then. And you explode and there's just tomb spiders like swarms everywhere that's freaking crazy that's even cooler so tomb spiders are something that that are really really cool to to use within your world just another two quick mentions there are the giant wolf spiders which i know in first edition they were actually spiders with wolves as faces so i think they've changed that since now uh since then uh, which is in my opinion a good thing <laughs> uh, but along with wolf, ju- wolf spiders, you have edder caps, which are not actually spiders. They're aberrations, just like the beholder. But they're spider-looking men, and they can cast webs. They have poison-like spiders, and they'll hang out with spiders as well. But we're not going to go too much into the, the edder cap. Basically, we wanted to mention it here so that if you're looking into using spiders, you might want to drop in a couple edder caps along with your, your huge spider encounters. So let's talk a little bit about the special abilities that spiders generally would have. We kind of talked a little bit about tomb spiders and phase spiders and the different and uh, Araneus spiders and what they have as special abilities. But in general, almost all spiders are going to have dark vision. Uh, they're going to be able to see in the dark. It goes along with their hunter-type mentality and their, the way that they live. They see in the dark. They're creeping up on top of you. Uh, along with that, almost all spiders are going to have tremor sense. Which, if you don't know what Tremor Sense is, it basically makes dark vision not even matter. Because if you are walking on the ground, a spider can sense that and sense the movement of you walking along the ground. So they know if you're even, even if you're hiding behind a a bush or a tree or a barrel, those spiders know you're there because they can feel you moving. So another thing that spiders can do, generally most spiders have this ability, is they do some sort of poison damage to you. That can take the form of many many different things from what we talked about with the tomb spider to doing strength damage or dexterity or constitution damage which i think is honestly the worst because i hate constitution damage which i think is what your spiders did to us was constitution damage (laughs) so it's like you have to go back and like okay what is my maximum health now 
Okay, now change that again. Change Honestly, that, again. that is the worst as a player. It's not the fact that my guy is weak and I know I got to heal from it. It's more the, oh my gosh, I got to figure out the math of this. <laughs> yeah, well, and I know for me as Kruor back in, when we played Spiders in your campaign, I had to go like eight days, like gradually regaining constitution <laughs> yeah. health, which sucked. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, blame Caleb the, and Grouthoof for not being there. Yeah, right, right. So the next thing that they have is a web ability, whether that's a spell-like ability or however it is that the spiders cast the web. They can entangle you within this web that they fling at you or however it is that they, they decide to do it to and that's you. That's a big way that I think a lot of spiders are going to try and fight and try and have combat. We've already talked about Tremor since Dark Vision. They're not going to want to just jump into battle, but they would prefer to web up their enemies, make them immobile, and then go and kill them or keep them alive if they if that's if that's for what better they want eatings. to do, yeah. Uh, yep. but yeah, they're going to want to use their web abilities to immobilize their victims. Beyond that web ability, they also, of course, as spiders are able to climb to the point where a lot of these spiders probably can almost hang upside down from ceilings mm -hmm. and drop down, yeah. especially if they're using their webs uh, to drop down on you. They're they're very silent hunters. You know, you have a lot of creatures in the world of D&D &D that want to just simply eat you or kill you, but yeah. uh, spiders are not going to be moving around easy to listen to, clanging in armor or uh, leaving big footprints. They're very, very quiet. They're going to sneak down on you super easy and attack you. They're going to get that sneak round. Yeah, they also have this thing too, like with their webs and climbing, they have web sense too. So if you touch a web, they know yeah. instantly where you are within their cave too, which is crazy. If there's like a hundred spiders in this cave and you touch the web, every single stinking spider is coming after you. I'm at looking point. at you, Bilbo Bags. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and also, I didn't exactly find a spider like this in the D&D &D monster manuals, but in the real world, there are tons of spiders that are crazy at jumping. Oh, yeah. And you could add that to a spider as a as a, something that it's able to do is just leap across the room and yep. jump on top of yep. you. Whether that's you, terrifying. Whether you use that as like a charge attack almost or whatever it is, you could have them jump 20 feet across the room and attack somebody instantly. Yeah, you know? terrible. Yep. So where is it you find spiders? I think one of the great things about spiders and also most terrible things about spiders is that you can find them almost anywhere oh, in the yeah. world. They fit into almost every environment. Going through environments, they you can find them in woods. Uh, we see that in The Hobbit, <laughs> yep. the, the Lord of the Rings. They're all throughout these Harry woods. Potter, they're out in the woods. Yep. In the wood. uh, you can also find them within caves. I mean, that's a pretty... Once again, Lord of the Rings has it. Shelf's Lair is up in, the, up in the mountains. We just recently fought some spiders yep, fought in caves. Yeah, fossil spiders in caves in my world, too. Yep. Uh, they could in, infiltrate homes of people, and whether that's... Uh, swarms of spiders, just, you know, you, you find a nest of spiders in a home, and oh my gosh, there's, this house has spider webs all in it, spider swarms. Or, hey, I haven't seen that NPC that I love, Billy, in a while. We should go see if he's in his house. Oh my gosh, a giant spider ate him. Can you imagine, <laughs> I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head, they, got, you, they went in from, for the war. Can you imagine having Aranea that took over somebody's house? Oh, I don't and it's like, <laughs> like in their basement, that's where they webbed up, like the family that's there, and the Aranea just shapeshifted <laughs> into the people. I'm can you imagine sure that? that? Actually, thinking back, we already mentioned Baldur's Gate 2, the game, but I think there was another side quest in that game where there was somebody who lived in the cabin out in the woods, and you had to go and find out why he hadn't been in town for a while. And you go there, and there are Aranea there. Oh, really? Sandstorm-like humans, and you're like, this is not okay. What's going on? 
this is kind of sketchy, and they lead you into this house, transform into spiders, and start attacking you huh. to kill you. So yeah, it's like this guy who just lived on his own out in the woods. That was a bad place to pick, buddy. Yeah, in right. In the world of D&D, you don't want to go out into the woods to have a nice, peaceful yeah. like, retirement, because you won't survive. It. Yeah, that's not that's not a good place at all. I mean, you can find them in jungles. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost anywhere. You can find them in sewers. Anywhere I that there's... I imagine jungle spiders as having pretty potent poison. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. If you want to pull out like some terrible poisons... I think jungle spiders would have. Well, and you could even homebrew a bunch of those too, where it's like you just look at different poisons that either spiders in our world have out in the jungle, or you look up, you know, poisonous frog spiders. What can yeah. those do? And add those into your monster. I mean, you could you could do any number of things with with jungle spiders, especially because, like we have now in our world, jungles are constantly having new and new creatures that are being churned out that we're just discovering. You know, like every time somebody goes in, they come out. They're like, man, we've found 120 different species of caterpillar or spiders or whatever it is. I mean, you could create a lot of different spiders for jungle environments. So just to wrap up spiders, once again, uh, they're going to be dangerous because they are natural-born hunters that are going to be hungry for prey. Oh, yeah. Uh, Besides that, even vermin-type spiders, when it comes to hunting, they're going to be cunning. Yep. If you got intelligent spiders, even more so. Mm -hmm. And uh, one spider by itself can be pretty easy to beat, unless it's a tomb spider. Right. But it gets way scarier when you talk about spiders in the sense of spider colonies. Yep. So here's some adventure ideas and counter ideas that you could have for spiders within your world. You could make them you could make them into mounts for yep. other for other various creatures. I mean you could have Githyanki riding on them, orcs, goblins, undead riding on them, evil wizards yep. riding on them. Evil wizards riding on a tomb spider. Oh, Freaking gosh. crazy. Evil web mummy wizards oh, riding a tomb gosh. spider. That'd be crazy. Or like a lich riding in on a oh, tomb spider. Gosh. Oh, god. Yeah, you could have, get, even thinking about just putting twists on. Or just a mummy riding yeah. in on a mummy, a Put tomb spider. Put twists onto the regular spiders. Get Yankee riding in spiders. Have them be spiders like the likes of which you've never seen before. Yeah. Because Get Yankee don't come from the regegular plane that we're that we're from that D and D though D and D world they always are invading from another plane. Right. Uh, if it's a evil wizard, it doesn't have to be a real spider. It can be this wizard who has a crazy familiar. That's a weird magical. Spider. Yeah, that's that's true. Another adventurer encounter idea that you could have is you could have an NPC who's traveling with you. They're a very important NPC that's crucial to your story. And in the middle of the night, you wake up. And he's not there. They're gone. And through whatever means, you're able to follow him back to a lair. And they're wrapped up. They've been captured by... He's been captured by spiders. In fact, possibly you could have a side quest. If What if, like, one night... You know, we've had people ask us, like, what happens if one night you only have one player show up for D&D? What do you do? Normally, we'd say just play with... Play with Autumn. Play dice yeah. with them. Like, play Settles of Catan, whatever it is. Play some Super Smash Brothers Melee, whatever it is. But you could have a little side quest with that one person. Hey, all of your friends got captured by spiders. You gotta go save them. Why didn't you get captured? Well, you just, you, you had an argument with them. You, you slept outside a yeah, camp right. at night or up in a tree or whatever. Like, that'd be a fun, like, one person, like, encounter. Save your buddies. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, right. You don't need them for it. Right. The last one that we came up with for an adventure or an encounter idea could be you need to pass through a woods on your journey, which is, I mean, you can find spiders anywhere. You could say you have to pass through the sewers on your way out because you're being wanted by the, the militia of the town. I mean, you could do whatever you want, but you just start walking through the woods thinking you just have to pass through somewhere, and who knows, you run into some phase spiders, like you run into a oh. whole group of phase spiders or whatever it is. You just have to get through the woods that 
you didn't know was infested by spiders. That in and of itself could be a crazy encounter. Or if you're being chased by somebody, you could try and lure them into an area where you know spiders are. Ooh, there you go. There you go. Use, or you use the spiders as tomb to the other. Yeah, get to the other side of the tomb. And so, two spiders. <laughs> yeah, right. You could lead your enemies to the spiders and then say, Sayonara, see you later, <laughs> have fun. Because <laughs> we don't want to deal with these things because they're freaking crazy. So one of the next monsters that we're going to talk about are ones that, Mitch, you created for your campaign. And we faced them a couple of different times throughout uh, the time of your campaigns. We faced them in the Sons of Bastion campaign twice, I think, right? I think uh, Well, twice for you, because right. you came in a little right. bit later. But yeah, they were a, uh, a pretty prevalent monster that uh, came... They were actually in the first encounter during that campaign. Yeah. Uh, so the monsters that I created, they're not really... A created monster, but they're almost a template on a monster. Okay. Uh, I got this idea from a magic card called the Goblin Grenade, and these things are called Goblin Grenades. Uh, so what go. these are are they are goblins who they're raised differently. We'll talk about that, but they've strapped big powder keg bombs on their backs, and they are they're kamikaze goblins. Basically, we played in this campaign, and we started out, I believe, at level one with all of our characters and. I love goblins, I love using them, and so I've created a bunch of different goblins for my world because I want to use goblins every now and then, besides that level one. And even at level one, you get the players who just see goblins and they're like, piece of cake, man. Yeah, like, yeah. So I wanted to make goblins a little bit more scary than just the regular goblins. So I added in goblin grenades who are different than regular goblins. So basically, I told you what they are. They're goblins with power kegs on their back, and they are, they're, they're feral goblins, they're raised by the other goblins. They're basically any goblin who's born with a defect or as a runt are raised in almost this uh, dog-like atmosphere where they're, they're just given crappy, the crappiest of food, they're treated like crap, they're like beaten, uh, and they're not raised to speak any sort of language. They're raised to understand certain commands, uh, but they're not raised to mm. speak the language. And their sole purpose is uh, to run into battle with their bomb strapped to their back, uh, to grab onto foes, and explode. <laughs> so they're raised for one battle. <laughs> they so, <laughs> they kind of remind me of the uh, like they, the grunts from Halo that got the nickname Suicide Grunts yeah. when they'd run at you with the two plasma grenades. Yeah, like except those things knew what they were doing. Right. These things are trained right. with, with fake bombs on their back that they have like their torches and so they're trained their entire life with torches that they light this fake bomb that doesn't explode and so they that's kind of one of their commands they're told to light the the torch and so they'll do that on command and until the last moment in the last battle that they'll ever fight in they don't know exactly what it is that's going right, to be happening right. to them uh but so they, they so they walk around with fake bombs just doing yes, that that's how they're do they trained. like get them swapped out beforehand when they're ready to battle, so they just think they're yeah, doing they, a regular Yeah, they would command. be trained with the fake bombs in their camps when they're being treated like dogs, right. like feral dogs. Right. In fact, I think the wargs are probably treated a lot better yeah, than these sure, things. Sure. But yeah, it's kind of a sad story, these feral, poorly treated goblins. Like, they're just tricked their entire life and treated like crap. I wonder what would but... happen if you were to, like, raid a goblin camp and they didn't have time to, like, change out fake bombs for real bombs. <laughs> 
And you just have a bunch of they these guys, be, like... They would go from being scarier goblins to compl almost completely useless. I wonder how told... you could, like, raise them up to be servants in, like, a house or something <laughs> after that. Right. I don't know. They've been pretty difficult to say. Yeah, they've, been, yeah. they've been pretty uh, treated their whole life. They've been brainwashed to yeah, do exactly. nothing but like that. Yeah, yeah so they'll be, they'll be told a couple commands, one of which is to attack, which they would just run towards their enemy, uh, to grab, which they would latch onto their enemy and all they're going to do is try and latch onto you and hold onto you as tight as they can and to bite like that's all they're going to do and to light their torch which they'll do before they run light the torch run grab try and hold onto you explode while holding yeah. onto so you so now do they have like longer appendages do they get like better grapple no they're, like they're, they're just regular they're regular goblins okay. but they can they can be any type of goblin you can a lot of goblins have adapted this way of so you can pick and choose what kind of goblins are using these but talking about do they have larger appendages no they don't but uh, their special abilities they do have the improved grapple feet because they're trained their entire right. life to be able right. to grab things and hold on basically it'd be like a goblin trainer would like tell them to grab onto a, a training post yeah and then a bunch of goblins would come in and try and rip them off and like be beating them with clubs and stuff and they're treated better if they hold on to it. The longer they hold on to it, they might get a but treat. But the harder they get hit when they're... <laughs> but the harder, yeah. It's a terrible lifestyle for one of these goblin grenades. It's it's really sad. Uh, but yeah, so they're trained to, uh, to grab on tight to things so they have improved grab, which helps their grapple. And this is the way that I run it. If you like this idea and you want to run it in a different way, go for it. Basically, what I have is as soon as they light their torch... They have a timed explosion, so the the wick is kind of like running down. And so the way that I like to do it is I I'll roll a d4 for each goblin grenade, and it's a d4 plus one rounds before it explodes. Right. So sometimes the wick runs down a little bit too fast; it explodes a little bit too early. They're too sometimes close. Sometimes it's like the goblin. Will sometimes the goblin. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the terrible things about it. Yeah. But yeah sometimes the goblin will grab onto uh, the guy and still be like not. So be attacking, and of course he doesn't realize he's going to be ex explode. But give the guy enough time to get them off. Right. Or you could just go with something simple and do like an average of they all have three rounds before they explode. Right. But yeah, there's some terrible, dangerous things in this, uh, such as an AOE type of a damage, like area of effect type right. damage, which I would do. And so if you're if the goblin grenade is holding on to you you're going to take the most damage and we don't need to go into specifics but the way that i had it down was if you were being grappled you would take 15 points of damage now at level one that's terrifying that's like, so if you yeah. see one of these things running towards wizards you, are dead <laughs> yeah which basically like that happened in level one they like they heard goblins and they saw a couple goblins and they're just like cocky as all you know, oh, we're level one. Like, no oh, idea. goblins like take these things down. Then they saw the first goblin grenade running at them, and they freaked out. And so it changes the whole mindset of let's run and attack these things. To right. oh my gosh, keep away from these things. Hit them before they get to us. Bring them down before they get to us. Those things are our main targets. So yeah, like you get if he's grappling onto you, you're going to take a lot of damage. Then within a ten foot radius, you could have it be something around ten damage, and with a 15 foot radius something around 5 damage that's still extremely lethal now bringing up what you talked about what about like a chain reaction thing well that's kind of up to you as the DM how exactly fragile are these bombs like if it's in the blast radius I would almost say definitely those things are going to explode oh, yeah, yeah. and create another chain reaction which yeah. is horrifying <laughs> like so when you have three of these things go off right next to each other right next to each yeah. other that's terrible that's awful yeah. um, and how do you work that as a DM that's up to you as a DM but that is terrifying and that's awful. Now, also, you have to 
decide are these things super fragile like what if I hit this thing with my with my great club is it going to be okay or yeah. is the impact going to make it explode like what's what's the deal how do these yeah. goblins make these uh, these powder kick bombs and I always I always went on the more dangerous side oh, yeah. of uh, you want to be careful about what you hit more and dangerous how hard you creates hit. interesting <laughs> role playing opportunities yeah, for people it yeah. does and so uh, that's a that's a way that I really like to make the goblins more scary than normally they are so where would you find these goblins obviously uh, anywhere that you would find goblins these goblin grenade creatures could live underground right. under mountains wherever goblins roam so just some encounter ideas and some adventure ideas that you could use these goblins in a more specific way ways that you can use them is kind of like chris said these goblins where they can be super scary can also help you as pc as the pc is playing they can help your pcs in the sense of if you have a wizard with fireball and you're able to hit one of these goblin grenades before it gets close to you, you can make a ton of goblins explode, oh, yeah. whether they're goblin grenades or the like commanding ones or whatever, just regular ones, and just create massive damage. That can yeah. be a really cool well, that was, for your That PCs. was fun when, when we were facing them in your campaign, the fight that I remember, where there were like there were like groups of three of them like running right next to each other, and I was like pretty sure these things explode they're lighting a <laughs> lighting a torch or like yeah. a, a wick on their back and so i think i think jason shot a group of them originally and they like exploded on the other side of the camp and i was like <laughs> oh hey i have a bow so i pull my bow out and shoot it and they explode too and it's like it's like like little pockets of like yeah you were like you were like all bringing the them down so after they lit their torch they fell dead because yeah. goblins don't have a lot of health yeah. so you kill them before they get to you then they're just a, a living bomb waiting yeah. to explode wherever they've landed yeah <laughs> yep also I remember the first time that you you weren't playing with us but they were fighting these goblins for the first time and it was terrifying for them but they reached this point where one of the goblins created this like cave collapse because it exploded in these tunnels. Uh, <laughs> and they went further to, they grabbed one of the goblins, they had a monk playing, and the monk like grabbed the goblin and used this awesome like skill to like grab the wick and like put it out before it exploded. But then later they're just holding this like this goblin, this feral goblin who's trying to bite them with this right. grenade that's been like diffused. And they shoved him into the wall <laughs> that had exploded down, and they like shot a flaming arrow at him, and he made the made the like craterous <laughs> cavern like that had fallen apart on them like an open way again. So they were able to keep going. That's hilarious. It's a pretty cool. It was a pretty cool experience. Um, another thing you could have is uh, these things are already treated like crap. Why not have the goblins have catapults in which they put the goblins in <laughs> and then shoot them at their enemies? Can you imagine this like <laughs> screaming, screaming, flying, flying yeah. feral goblin coming at you, looking to grab onto you as he's like coming over the wall with a bomb strapped onto his back? You, man, that'd be hard to grapple. Like, it would be incredibly yeah, yeah, hard yeah. to grab them, but you know these things aren't like it's not if like it oh no, you, Timmy dies. If it hits like, you, you might die from the impact of this big steel <laughs> exactly. bomb hitting you first. Uh, oh. Maybe they're trained. Maybe that's part of their training. They shoot them out of catapults and like try to cre <laughs> teach them how to like use the airwaves. <laughs> and if not, they're just beat. Right. Like, maybe yeah. Maybe you have like flying ones that have like squirrel suit the uh, the flying squirrel suits. Yeah, on. I imagine all the. Oh my gosh, that'd be crazy <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I imagine all these goblins with bruises and like just like stitches on oh, them. Oh yeah. And, oh, they're not. They aren't doing eyes that poked well. out and stuff. Even like before that, the yeah. battle, they already yeah. look like they've been through heck. But yeah, that's uh that's the goblin grenades. 
awesome way to use goblins and make them a little bit more terrifying in your campaigns. Scare your players a little bit more. Like, oh, you'll be fighting goblins today. Oh, we can do this. Oh my gosh, what is that? Danger always <laughs> adds a fun element to role Exactly, playing. exactly. Yeah. So, Chris, tell us about your monster. That yes, we've, we've talked about life stealers a little bit uh, in past episodes. Last episode, the Divine Spotlight, I talked about them a little bit, but I said I'm going to save them for this episode. So, here you go. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it so you can get a little bit of a a precursor of where they come from. What are they? They're, they're basically the deformed remains of a original human uh, who is a worshiper of the god Nyax. So they're, st- I mean, they just, they look nasty. Their jaws are like, they have just these sharp teeth coming off. They got like skin ripped apart. You can see muscles. They look really, really deformed. Very thin, like you can see a lot of their muscles. The way they became the way they are is through sacrificing themselves because of the promise of immortal life. And so, they are a medium demonic creature. They have some special abilities to them. They, upon hit, they are able to like consume your lifeblood, and so they regain like a quarter of the health in damage, or like a quarter of the damage oh, that they did to you. Upon hit, when yeah, they upon hit, hit you. yeah, when they hit. I you, thought yeah. you meant when like PCs hit that. I was like, that's terrible. Hit me, hit me, hit me. <laughs> no. No, That's when they when they hit you, when they t- when they do damage to you, they yeah, regain they a quarter of that gotcha. damage that they do through absorbing the blood still that, is that touches them. Yeah, still is terrifying. They also have this ability that they can hide within the bodies. It's like a magical ability oh, yeah, that they can I hide. Remember this. Yeah, they can hide inside of the bodies, uh, whether it be former sacrifices or whatever. So you enter this room where all these sacrifices have gone on, and kind of like your goblin grenades, it's kind of just like a ticking. Time bomb. They're waiting, waiting to explode, waiting out, of the to explode out of this dead yep, body and do a ton of damage to the pe- people that walk in. Uh, it's got a ten foot radius, so they're gonna try and wait to see. Like, like you might be walking around inspecting the bodies, and they're just like waiting for you, like inside of these bodies to get like three or four of you really close to them, so that they can just explode and do. Uh, I have them doing sixty six worth of damage within oh a ten gosh. foot radius. <laughs> this is like they're like they can't do it more than once around, so it's like they're one big. They're one big attack. This is why you don't face these things at like level one. No. These are these are much <laughs> higher level that. creatures. Um, don't go near dead bodies. They also they also have dark vision of sixty feet, so they can see quite a ways in the dark, which is used to their advantage because they're found in like basements of homes. Because if you listen to the divine spotlight, you know Nyax is not openly worshipped within Panthea, and so they're usually found like in really rich people's basements because the rich people, they're kind of seeking control and they want to live forever because they don't want to give up their wealth. And so they, a lot of these temples are found in basements of these places. You can also find them in the Underdark. Like, a lot of the creatures in the Underdark like to try and worship Nyax because he's like the most crazy evil god you can think of. And a lot of things in the Underdark are crazy and evil in their <laughs> own right. Uh, you can also find them... Like if they're if they're not killed by somebody coming across them, and they're like forced out of their their home, they don't necessarily like to be in like sunlight and stuff. So they'll though you might be able to find them within sewers of major cities and stuff like so that. So a too. daylight spell is useful against a these daylight things. spell might be useful against mm-hmm. them. Yeah, an interesting thing about them: they read through the the holy scriptures of Nyax, but when they became these life stealers, they're constantly driven mad by the voice of of Nyax within their head and they can't control their own bodies anymore but it's is Nyax. It actually the voice of it's Nyax? actually the voice mm-hmm. of Nyax in their head so they're like driven crazy by this because they realize they didn't get what they were promised they were promised immortal life but it wasn't the immortal life they were they were tricked yeah <laughs> they were tricked because Nyax is a pretty crazy evil god 
And so he he takes over control of them, allows their soul to still be with inside of them, but he's like constantly just like torturing them with words of like hate and like see I got you, like I got your body now, now I'm gonna do. It. So it's like it's like that's it's like that's what he's like. I and, got you. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like watch what I, he's like saying like watch what I'm gonna do next. And these people are like oh crap like this is what I've become. Like I'm now killing a whole bunch of innocent people. So these people that were once rich and had it all that were seeking this immortality. Now, because they're stuck inside of this body, have all these regrets because of what they're watching these life stealer bodies that they're no longer in control of doing. So they, they tend to live with a lot of regret trying to find a way to break free of this curse that they've laid upon themselves. That's really cool. So that's all that we have for you today with uh, the monsters that we're going to be talking about. We hope that you like this new series, Raw Real Monsters, uh, and we hope that you got some great ideas on how to use beholders, spiders, goblin grenades, and life stealers in your campaigns. All right, well, let's get away from these monsters. They're coming after us. They're angry. Let's get away from all of them. They're all really scary. First we're going to explode, then we're going to have life stolen from us. And awesome. let's head over to the mailbag really quick now. They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? All right, thanks for joining us on another segment of The Mailbag of Holding, the place where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. Uh, Chris, we have an email from DM Johnny Boy today. She sent us this picture that's been, this article that has been going around the internet uh, recently. It's the article and the images of the people who built the setup where they have a projection system like on their ceiling screening down onto their table and it shows basically the projection system makes out a map of whatever it area yeah, it they're looks playing. like they it's use like sweet. roll 20 or yeah. something like that to create a map if and you then... haven't seen this it's probably pretty easy to find this mm -hmm. article on just search i'm sure D, &D projection projection system and yep. Basically, the idea is you have a computer hooked up to this projection system, and you can l upload maps of all different types, and with a simple click of a button, you have a new map that's super detailed, super nice, on your table, that you can just take your pieces now and place them on the squares and move them around. You have this beautiful visual on the table. Uh, he says that this is a really cool idea, which I agree. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's really cool. But he asks, basically he asks us our opinion. He says, okay... This is really cool, but with technology keep keeps on getting better, how far is too far to go with tabletop gaming and technology? So that was his, he wanted to know our opinions on that, so we are happy to always share our opinions. So, uh, Chris, you want to kind of start us off with maybe just what do you think about this question? How far is too far? So we're talking specifically just about the projections. I think right? I think he's talking in general, and he's oh, using okay. that as, a, okay. as an, an example. Okay. I think speaking, I'll, I'll start by speaking specifically to the projection system. I like it. I've messed around with Roll20 a little bit, like trying to create maps. So I was thinking, I saw that and I was like, oh, I wonder what they're using. And a lot of people have said who have made these that they use Roll20 to make these maps. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll try and figure it out. And so I figured it out and I was like, wow, this, this takes a lot of time to make this map. Like for somebody who's new, I think once you get doing it a little bit more, it's a little bit easier to make the maps and stuff, but I think one one hindrance for me was it took a long time to figure out how to make those stupid maps work <laughs> and find tiles that worked and everything like that for that. Now, if you're a wizard at making maps on your own, go for it, like do it. It loses a little bit of a, we use, we use either like tiles that we've created here or we draw them out or like I have some stone 
things that I made for the walls or whatever. I just, for me, it just, it loses, it loses something for me when you have it being projected down on the screen. Because for a projector to work, it has to be dark. I like playing with lights on for the most part, being able to see across the table. And most of the pictures I've seen, the people are sitting in the dark, not really being able to see what's going on. You have to worry about shadows and stuff like that. You can't like move across the table. I feel like it, that's all just annoyances that I have with it. But the other thing I have, it costs a lot of money to do that and do that well. Because I, I looked at a lot of projectors. You have to have a semi-decent <laughs> yeah, projector. Yeah, when we first saw this article, I think we both had the same idea of, I wonder how much that would cost Yeah, I looked around. Well, and I, I, I did a lot of research on, on projectors and what what type of lumen does it need to be able to project in like a room that's lit and be able to see the image. Um, a lot of them said that it has to, you know, they have to have quite quite a large bulb in order to do that type of thing. They have to pump out a lot of power. And the ones that do that well are about 400, 500 bucks. And I don't have 400, 500 <laughs> bucks to throw at that thing. So that's that's my one thing. I don't I don't think I have an opinion as to whether or not like I would tell you you have to go and do it. Uh, or whether you shouldn't do it or not. But for me, it's for the projector system specifically, it's like if you have the money to throw around and do it, sure, try it out. Otherwise, save your money. It's not, I, for me, it's not going to be worth spending $600, $700 to make the whole mount with the projector system going down. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I really like the projector system. I like it as a sweet idea. You brought up some things that I wasn't even thinking of, like just of. Uh, when I first saw it, but like the light issue, like I do wonder how much of an issue that would be. Uh, and what I would say with that is because it is expensive, I would say, hey, if I this was something that I wanted to do, I would want to see it first and test yeah. it out first instead of going out and spending a ton of money on a projector and then being frustrated because, like you said, I don't want to play D&D in the dark. Like, right. I've thought, you know, I, I as a DM, I like to create an ambiance sometimes with playing certain campaigns and so if we're going to go into the deep dark tunnels of the dwarven mine it'd be sweet to turn off the lights and be playing in candlelight that's a great idea but when you really start to play like that you realize this is not fun my eyes are not adjusting well can't see what's this going is on not, if you play with yeah, the knees a whole it's lot, a great yeah. idea but then in like actual in real life it turns out to be kind of more of a hindrance so the darkness issue would be something for me um, speaking to technology in general with D&D and adding to D&D, I think it's really just, it, what it comes down to is, is the technology aiding you or is it being a crutch in your role playing? There are certain things that can be awesome. Like if you have awesome sound effects that you have like downloaded and you want to uh, play them during like your, like you come across a dragon, you have a sweet sound effect that you just click and you have that play instead of just being like, and you see a dragon, like, but you hear a sound, click, and you play the sweet dragon sound effect. That can add to it, but that can also be a crutch in the sense of what happens if your your audio you can't find that file really quick, yeah, or you can't like that file doesn't play right, yeah, or you don't have the speakers hooked up right, or what happens if you just like you're like oh like I want to fight this today, but instead of fighting this, I'm going to fight something that I have an audio file right. for. It can be a crutch in the sense of like you're not using your true whether you're really talented or not, like. Make the noises yourself. Let the players laugh at you if they're, if they're going to, but make it an enjoyable yeah. experience. With the the maps, like uh, with a projection system, it could be really sweet if it works well and you can play in the light depending on the projection system, but what if you can't find a map? 
that's what where you want to go, or are you just going to go? Yeah, we won't go there. Then we'll change my story yeah. for it. Like, is it is it becoming a crutch, or is it something that's helping you? I know technology. There's certain things about technology that I love that I need for D and D. Like, I would rather a lot of times write up notes on the computer rather than in my prep at least yeah, yeah. by hand. Now, when I come to the table, all my notes are written down on a little notepad yeah. because I'm not going to pull up a Word document and write it there while we're playing. Yeah, um, that's what I have for if some something comes up that I didn't plan and I need to remember it, I write it down on a piece yeah. of paper right then. I, I don't have one right now because it broke, but I loved when I had my tablet for images yeah. because I'd just be, instead of having to hook up a secondary monitor so you didn't see what was on my computer, I could uh, just pull out my tablet click on the image and like show it to all of you across the table and that was really nice yeah. so there are certain things calculators <laughs> on yeah. with all the math so nice i'm not good at math thank you to my iphone calculator i appreciate yeah. that so much there are certain things that are aids and there's certain things that are that can become crutches and i think you need to analyze your game and figure out what it is that aids you and what it is that hinders you in your play yeah I am always going to be a huge proponent of pen and paper character sheets. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've had players at our table who play with their computers as their character sheets before, and we've had, with those players, we've had to sit and wait for five minutes because they can't find what they're trying to look yeah. for or their computer's not working right. That doesn't happen Or, or the there's two, like, they get distracted by, you know, more, more times than not, you have more than one tab open on your internet browser. More times than not, it's probably Facebook. Yeah. More times than not, you're going to find yourself going to that too, which is also and a and that's why we have one of those anti Facebook rule at our table. Yeah. Don't be, don't disrespect the other players in the DM by yeah. being on those things. Uh, so yeah, it, it can it can be interesting. And some people might have a D and D tablet sheet that they love and it works well for them, and that's more power to you. I'm just this is we were asked for our opinions, and that's just yeah. mine. I'm always going to be the make it on a pen and paper kind of guy. It frustrates me when people can't find certain things because they have a computer file that they're running it yeah. off of and they have no idea. Like, Well, because computer files are different than the normal paper that I've always used. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's like, wow, I found this cool system, I'm going to try my, my character on there, it's the first time they've done it, you're probably going to get lost trying to find things. Whereas if you have the two sheets of paper, it has all of your stats over here and then all of your weapons and skills and everything on the other one, literally two pages right there that's like okay it's not going to take me as long because i know where everything is because it's it's labeled exactly how i need it to be exactly yeah so that that would be what i would say just don't let it be an aid don't let it be a hindrance yeah. that would be my piece of what i think technology comes down to yep. in a D, D table yep. top game or any tabletop and game. i would i would agree with you 100 percent on that too I'd... i i guess i would the the only other thing that i would add in too is that i fear that with technology growing that there almost would be this sense of like onlookers looking into tabletop games, seeing a, a group with a projection system with all tablets, sheets, and all that kind of stuff with sound effects and stuff, and looking at that group, not knowing tabletop gaming, and going, that's the better group than the group of guys who yeah. sits down with pen and paper, dice, like that aren't on a phone, and plays without a, even without a board, like theater of the mind style and going that's the better group than that group yeah like the sense of like they have more stuff so they have to be better at that that's even with miniatures yeah. like uh we are blessed to have a ton of miniatures uh we heard somebody recently like one of our friends uh came over and was like i told my friend at work like 
they had five miniatures. They were so excited, and I told them, you guys got to check out my buddies who run this uh, DMB podcast and all their miniatures. Yeah. And I was just like, it's I like don't bring them down. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> they're, they're so excited about their five miniatures. Like, yeah. it's, it, that's their game, and it doesn't... When it comes down to it, it's not the material stuff that makes that game fun. It's the attitude of everybody around the table, the story that's being weaved. Yeah. Like, that is what makes it fun. So... That tabletop with all that technology is not better than the tabletop with no technology. Yeah. And vice versa, the tabletop with no technology is not better than tabletop with technology. Yeah. Those are just aids to the game. I'm kind of glad that there's a lot of really crappy apps out there for Dungeons & Dragons. Because, <laughs> there are, Because most people will try them. They're like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. And then the next time you go to play, they're not using it anymore. And they're yeah. back to the regular pen and paper. I think we get excited that there's something yeah. for us. On something that there's tons of apps that there there aren't, but a lot of them unfortunately don't. Well, work it's a that cool well. idea to have something that's going to simplify the game exactly. for you. But the reality is, a lot of them don't actually follow through on the simplification mm-hmm. that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So and then I, if you're getting into customization and homebrewing, yeah, forget about yeah, it. Yeah, forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's our thoughts, uh, DM Johnny Boy. Thanks for sending us that question. Really appreciate that. Hope to hear from you in the future. Well. I think I can speak for both of us and say that we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Raw Real Monsters. Uh, This is the first episode in our series of Raw Real Monsters that we're (laughs) going to be doing. We'll be bringing you monsters every time we do this, as well as some of our own created monsters. monsters. Yeah, I guess you could tell. I'm going to say monsters probably a million more times before we're done. Uh, But yeah, so we hope you enjoyed this episode of Raw Real Monsters. About monsters. About monsters, yes. If you would like to get in touch with us and share about some of your own monsters or how you've used some of our monsters or the monsters that are actually from D&D. Or anything else. Or anything else, really. If you want to get in the mailbag of holding section, that would be great, like DM Johnny Boy today. You can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us anything you want on there, really, and we'll possibly put it in a future episode. If you also haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, head over there, send us a five-star review, and write a little review. And uh, you'll also get mentioned at the beginning of the episode in our shout-out time. You can also find us on Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's DMS block. And like our Facebook page. Now, you might have noticed that the image for the Dungeon Masters block has changed recently. Uh, We have a beautiful image of Stomp the Goblin King of Orenthal leaning up all cocky like forever immortalized yeah, forever immortalized on the golden D20 I feel like this would be something Masters that block. he had like I feel like this is an image that he had contracted out for himself that he would have like on a painting <laughs> like kings do yeah. I feel like this would be one that he would have <laughs> done of himself he's actually the ruling force here at the Dungeon Master Block yeah. he's looking on from a one way mirror right now <laughs> looking in on us just kind of shaking his head whenever we do stuff that doesn't yeah. please him and yeah. he's, he's comes in and he beats us with his uh, scepter if we do something yeah, bad. Right, he's, right. he's in charge, man. So uh, we love you, Goblin King Stomp. But uh, this beautiful piece of artwork was made for us by Christopher Paul, the artist. And we thank you so much, Christopher Paul. Uh, we encourage you guys to go check out more of his artwork. You can find that at silver-griffin.com. Or you can follow him on Twitter at Christopher Paul, and in the Christopher part, there is no I or E, so you gotta put that in. Yeah, make so sure you at, get that, or you might find some random person. Paul without an I and an E on Twitter. Follow him and just uh, let him know how amazing that artwork is, and tell him thank you from us. Tell him the DMB sent you. As we do in every episode where we have another Patreon member to share, we're going to share him now. 
he is one of our Patreons that is a gold dragon. So at the gold dragon level, donating $10 a month. He's been generous enough to do that for us, and so we're going to give him a shout out. His name is, get your drum roll started, Ben Latham. Thank you so much, Ben. We Thanks, greatly ben. appreciate your gift. Ben is a gold dragon, so that means he's Woo! donating $10 a month, gets to get in on the Google Plus Hangouts, and is part of our forums, actively participating there. He also recently, if you're interested at all, wrote an article called Character Creation Background Stories at Tribality.com, so you can go there and search for that. He also runs a weekly D&D stream at twitch.tv slash sedge. Thanks, Ben Latham. Yeah, thank you very much. Once again, we want to thank you, all of our loyal Block Party members, for listening to this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other players at the tables with all of their raw, real monsters. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.